0: Welcome to another episode of Power Chats with Chris and Sam. Today, we've decided we're going to talk about our pasts. And I've just found out today that Savannah has a similar past as me. She kind of grew up sailing on different boats and stuff like that when she was younger. I'm really interested to hear that side of her story because uh, some know, not many actually, because I don't talk about it much. I talk more about my policing background. But I grew up, my teenage years, sailing around the world on a 40-foot catamaran. Started in the Caribbean, sailed all the way through, and I believe we talked a bit about this in the first episode, but, uh, you know, sailed from the Caribbean all the way through the South Pacific and then ended up in New Zealand with my mom, got the band scuba diving, and Tonga. And got air back to New Zealand. We were on our way to Australia, not New Zealand. We were like, no, it's too hard to get to New Zealand. But yeah, so today we're-
1: <laughs> Bummer, you ended up here instead of Australia.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot less deadly things I met my wife, so, you know, it all works out. <laughs> um, But, um, yeah, so today we're going to just talk about, tell our kind of, talk about what we did when we were kids on sailboats and how we got through it, and I think, I know that my years on the sailboat set me up to be as resilient and awesome as I am today, to float my bubble a little bit, so I don't know about you, but, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on your
1: yeah, okay. well our our stories are, are pretty different because I didn't live on a boat. Oh, I okay, so let me let me.
0: Just tell your story. Just tell story
1: <laughs> what happened. <laughs> no, so, our our stories are fairly different because I didn't um I didn't live on a boat with my family. We basically, I mean, I have a water baby for a father, and so we used to spend like half the year away camping and on the boat and we would basically just whip off here and there and like we did a lot of diving and a lot of you know just a lot of water sports and and I think that um it's interesting you brought up that that made you more resilient because for me I think it made me harder and not in like a like an emotional way but more in a way that I'm able to deal with like getting sand in me and getting salt on me and like not having like a proper shower for a few days. Like, you know, I remember growing up and we used to hang the um, solar showers out on the grass. And like, if it was a cloudy day, you knew that you were in for a crap shower that night. And so, you know, we'd do stuff like that. We'd hang them up. And I think like having a childhood where it was just so active, so outdoors, so focused on, um, basically you like living, living in a, in a family where you help each other out and you don't take like the grand things for, for granted, because for the most part, you've got very minimal to, to work with, you know, like I didn't, I didn't grow up like on an island or on a boat or anything. So I had a very privileged life growing up. However, what I mean by that is we just, yeah, I'm not afraid of like getting dirty and like, getting getting amongst it you know and that's where i feel like having that sort of childhood really helped me out and then and then i think that that love of water being so ingrained in me led me to go work on super yachts and so i spent time on like really expensive mega yachts and sailboats and and i did that for a couple of years and that was a very different lifestyle to the one i imagine you had with your family on your
0: own boat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I grew up. So I had kind of a similar childhood as you before we went on the boat because we had a houseboat. We had a lake 15 minutes from our house. And, you know, we did have, as you said, like you could call it privilege. Like I didn't even realize how much my mom made until I was like an adult. Mm-hmm. And she told me, and I was like, seriously, I didn't think that. <laughs> because we had, if I wanted something, I had to work for it. I had an allowance and I, you know, stuff going out, But, um, we didn't have flashy stuff but we had a houseboat on the boat um, on the lake and we had a speed boat and stuff so i grew up around the water as well i mean i i was wakeboarding by the time I was well when wakeboarding first started i was literally a friend of ours had this thing that he was like oh it's a wakeboard and we're like how the fuck does that work <laughs> and i was like okay cool we had a ski boat at the time so like it kicked up they ended up turning those ski boats into wakeboard boats and stuff like that like people doing crazy stuff with them putting cages on them that was all at the start of wakeboarding in the states and so, yeah, I grew up with that as well. My my dad used to paraglide, so we used to go travel around, like, Northern California paragliding, and my dad tells me about times where, like, he was in San Francisco paragliding, and he actually stuffed me into his harness because it was safer than leaving me on the cliffside when I was, like, five. <laughs> so, so, like you said, that that resilience, and that's why I say that resilience, because, yeah, yeah I mean, I, yes, I'm a guy, so we kind of are more prone to, like, be happy to get dirty, but... Literally, I remember when I met my wife, I wore cargo pants, a singlet, or, or board shorts. And shoes was, uh, uh, that was an option. It <laughs>
1: like you, you figured out the New Zealand uniform pretty quickly.
0: Before I even got here. <laughs> but, you know, you, you talk about, you know, and I'm sure you got this even working on super yachts. Or even, you know, running around? I remember when my parents, like, I did a lot of yacht racing. I don't know if you ended up, did you do much yacht racing at all?
1: Mm, no, just hobby.
0: Just hobby stuff? Yeah. But I got into the yacht racing scene because I wanted to learn more about sailing. I jumped into that, how do you sail real quickly? And so I started doing yacht racing. I remember being in, where was I, St. Martin for, um, for the Heineken Regatta, which is like, you ask any, like, well, did you work, where did you work on super yachts?
1: Uh, mostly in the Mediterranean.
0: Did they go to the Caribbean at all?
1: No, I didn't.
0: Uh, so most, you know, so mostly, most of the time they come from from the Med, and they come over to the Caribbean, and then they go back, and they do that kind of back and forth thing. And most people in Super know know Heineken Regatta and a Race Week, the Classic Regatta, all those kind of things. And so I was at, we were in Heineken, at the Heineken Regatta, and we we're there, and we had a friend of my mom's front of my mom's son or something was on board and he um i was like oh how do i get onto one of these boats and he's like you go knock on the hull and i was like you're serious and he's like yeah that's how you get on so i literally the next morning i think it was like day two or three of a week of racing i went and i knocked on every single boat and the very last boat that i knocked on which was a 100 foot schooner and this is where i learned a little bit of this um even with marketing we were talking about you know talking about marketing and stuff even which i think we might end up but my dad was like, give them value. This is where I first learned to give value so you can get what you want in a way. And he's like, he's like, here's the digital camera. It was one of those fucking big ass block ones that, you know, when they first came out, okay. <laughs> he's like, he's like, with the SD chip that was the size of your head. And he's like, he's like, here's the, here's the camera. Tell them you'll take photos for them for the day. And you'll give them to them at the end of the day. Mm. And so I was like, okay, cool. And so I did that. And I literally were, I, I raced on hundred foot. A hundred twenty foot, hundred ton schooner. For four days, I raced on it, and I learned about it. You know, they had power winches, and all. uh, Literally, it was probably the slowest boat out of every boat that was racing, except for one, which is the one that they wanted to be. (laughs) And so, that was my first experience with yacht racing. But it made me. It made me. It gave me that can-do attitude as well. That if you want something, just go grab it.
1: It takes a lot of confidence and a lot of courage um, which often isn't present you often have to fake it in order to go dock walking and that's what we call it in industries you have to go dock walking and that's how you get experience especially because this, the the yachting world um, has exploded my father did it for a few years back when I was a child and um, and I think back then it wasn't as like I think travel was just Uh, slightly less accessible than it is now and then obviously the industry just exploded and it was it's been you know difficult for some people to get jobs and there's been seasons where people have gone and actually not been able to get a job um, because it's just been flooded with people but that dark walking and that that confidence to just walk up to someone and try and it's, it's the classic sales story of sell me this pen but you're the pen yeah you know and that and, t- that takes a lot of balls
0: it takes a lot of balls it takes a lot of resilience as well because out of the hundred no's that you're gonna get you'll get one yes it's pretty okay. much especially if, you know if there's anybody listening that is wanting to go work on super yachts and stuff it's actually it can take a lot to go do it i just interviewed a lady who was a chef on a super yachts so she still st- she still does it over in the med she's in spain at the moment doing like she runs a business mark she's a business coach as well but I remember because of the Heineken Regatta, I did the Heineken Regatta. And then I went to Antigua, which had Antigua Classic Regatta and then Antigua Race Week. And those are some of the biggest regattas in, like, the Caribbean. Like, it, there's nothing really much bigger than Antigua Race Week and the Heineken Regatta. But I remember going and I was on Classic. And you know the J-Boat today, like the big the big J. sail, yeah. So, um, Valshita and um, Endeavor were both there. And you know they're like the, the at the time they didn't have all the other ones hadn't fully been built or anything and they weren't all there but those two were there and I remember walking up to the Valchita and he, and I talked to this I was like hey is a is a skipper is a skipper around and they go yep and so he came comes over and he's like what the fuck does this you know fourteen year old want <laughs> because I was fourteen dumb. I was fourteen at the time wow <laughs> so I'm fourteen at the time just got into sailing first year on the boat literally we've been sailing for maybe three months I knew fucking nothing yeah. and but I was fake it till you make it and it was like he's like oh have you you know have you raced on any other boats I was like yeah I raced on 100 ton 100 you know ton 120 foot schooner and um and Heineken regatta I you know and sailing on this boat I've got a camera I'm happy to take photos and stuff like that he's like look man he's like if the owner wasn't on board I'd take you on board right now he's like yeah I'd be totally happy to I was like you're joking, right? <laughs> it's like, it's, I was like a J boat. And then, um, and then I ended up getting onto another little classic boat, which we won our class. And then with,
1: Sorry. okay, it didn't come.
0: I <laughs> wasn't <it> going to sneeze. <laughs> and then, so yeah, so, you know, the resilience there, like I literally went and it was like five in the morning because again, I had that 14 year old, oh, can I actually do this? Can I not? And my mom was like, get on the dock and go walk. And I was like, okay. And so I went, and I literally just started. And I was like, all oh, these big boats—they're not going to want me on, on board or anything like that. And they're like, they're like, no. Nah. And you know, I was I was tall, so I wasn't. I mean, by then I was probably five ten at fourteen. You know, almost six foot. So I was a, I wasn't a small human either. So you know, I could do stuff, and I I love the deck. I love being up on the foredeck for racing and stuff like that, pulling sails in, and and uh, and even grinding. But yeah, so I walked the dog, went to all these big, massive, you know, multi million dollar yachts that, you know, know, are known to win and stuff. And I kept getting no's, kept getting no's. And then I was like, okay, cool, just kept going. And so then I ended up getting on this, on this, um, this little boat that literally the guy had stripped the thing inside out for so he could win. He wasn't really supposed to. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. And it was just fun. Like it was literally like, as we were coming around the last buoy, it was like fucking beers. Like everybody had beers out. And like, it was like, I wasn't because I was only 14, but it was, and then the, the race week, I ended up getting onto like a real well-known boat. I can't remember the name of it, but the guy we won by a long shot, our class. And that just started the whole racing thing. Then when we were in different islands, I'd race our catamaran, and my dad would be like, "Just don't crash it, please." <laughs>
1: your parents, your, your your mom. First of all, I think that that's a really good sign of parenting. Um, I try not to comment on parenting, given that I'm not a parent, but I think that your mom's attitude of just get out there and do it um, yeah. is is a really good role model and a really good. Well, with both my parents. Both my parents
0: that. are like. What are you to, what's the worst literally they said to me on the first time was what's the worst that's gonna happen? Yeah. Like they're gonna say no. I was like, and they're like, and you walk to the next boat. And that got me on to, you know, I started working on super yachts. I did work a little bit on super yachts for a little while. I have a 60 foot um swan at one stage, um, when I first met my wife, and that's literally the same thing. And now it's like that's like if we go into the marketing side of stuff, it's so the resilience is still there. It's like, what's the worst that somebody's going to say? No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this is something that I think has really helped my life immensely. And it's what Tim Ferriss calls the, um, what is it? Fear set. He calls it fear setting. So he has this system called fear setting and it, it just, Speaks to me on such a deep level because it plays on this idea of what's the worst that can happen So basically we're all we're all about goal setting but at what point do we sit back and go? Well, if I try this thing, what is the worst that could happen? Right? So the way he he systemizes this This process of getting somewhere is you write down the thing that you want so your goal Mm -hmm. and then you think the worst case scenario and then what will happen if that worst case scenario comes to life? And how likely is it that that worst case scenario will even eventuate? And I've been in situations where, yeah, it's like fear holds us back so much. But when I think about the worst case scenario, often it's not that bad. Case in point, the end of my yachting career. Um, yeah, my yachting career ended in a hospital bed in Barcelona. I decided that I had... I had, yeah, I t- had, had enough and it was time for me to move on and go back to my roots of of health and wellness and really focus on that. And so I'm in this hospital bed in Barcelona next to a woman who speaks Catalan. She doesn't even speak Spanish. So we're speaking broken. I speak French. So we're speaking in this this broken English, French, Catalan, quasi mix with a lot of hand signals and gestures. And I'm just... I'm sitting there going this, this isn't the travel life that I had pictured. I think it's time for me to move on, but how am I going to get home? I'm like down to my last few euros because I now no longer have a job. I'm in hospital. Um, I don't really want to go back to living with my mom or my parents or family. Like I'm a grown ass woman who wants to do that. That's like, that's moving backwards. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, wait a minute, that's the worst case scenario. Like you have a loving family to go back to, you have enough money to buy a plane ticket. And you know, what's amazing is I just made that decision and I, in my hospital bed, as I was recovering, I went, right, I'm flying out. I got discharged. I flew out two days later and I got upgraded to business class on the way home. Which is amazing if you've ever done um, if you've ever done a European to New Zealand flight like I was flying from um, France I ended up going back to Nice and then flying out of there and that's the longest flight in the world that goes via Dubai and it's a good like one stretch I've
0: done to Italy, it Italy and it's a long way like it's
1: huge it's so long and so business class was
0: and oh, I yeah. just felt
1: like I was being basically rewarded for taking that, like, gutsy decision of of just going on a whim. But the thing was, I was trying so hard to make this one thing work because I was afraid that um, I'd end up, I don't know, things just wouldn't work out for me. But then when I figured out the worst-case scenario, I was like, that's actually pretty good. Like, by standards, my worst-case scenario of going back to a loving family I could probably get like a job the day I land, you know, I was fine. Like I was actually protected because I'd done a lot of work in the past. I had connections. I had, you know, I was like living a privileged life. And so um, I flew back and yeah, the, the, the worst case scenario absolutely did happen. I had to live with family for like two weeks and it took me two weeks to then find a flat, and get a job, and I was fine.
0: Mm. Most things work out, don't they?
1: Yeah, because worst case scenario is often not as bad as you think it's gonna be. No. you know, And especially when it comes to selling yourself, if someone's gonna say no, well then, so what? You didn't have the job at all. You didn't have the date. You didn't have the opportunity. Like, if you go for it and you don't get it, you still haven't lost anything.
0: You've actually gained something because you learned. One
1: hundred percent. One hundred
0: percent. I'm intrigued. Why were you in hospital?
1: I got a kidney infection.
0: It's always yeah.
1: But I thought I was. I thought I was dying. Like if you've ever had a kidney infection, that shit is painful.
0: No, haven't been there. Haven't done that. But you know, you think you think about the resilience in that. You think about you know you were sitting there next to a lady. They didn't speak a word of English. And yet you still made a conversation. And I remember I, I got all that from the boat as well. I mean, we were in places where you didn't, you know, Panama. Pe- people don't, so they speak Spanish. That's it. <laughs> French Polynesia. That's all they speak is French. Like, and there's people that do not speak. A, and I remember it like, in another story. I was hanging around with the um, French Polynesia junior surf champ in Tahiti. And his friends, some of his friends spoke no English. I was going out with them, going surfing. And I remember, I remember being out surfing with these kids that spoke no English. I'm the white guy. Normally you'd be kicked off the fucking waves. They'd be like, and I'm on a bodyboard, not even a surfboard. And they'd be like, but they're sitting there because I'm, I'm friends with him as well. But also because I'm like sitting there chatty with them and, you know, resilient to the whole, they don't speak English. So why the fuck bother? I'm sitting there chatting with them on the way, and they're sitting there going, Chris, get the wave, get the wave, and giving me these amazing waves in Tahiti to, to bodyboard. And I'm like, that just, it just shows how being compassionate with people and, and being you know, open to talking with people and being that resilient, not letting that fear of awe, oh, but I don't speak their language, or you know that fear of the no, or the fear of you know, the fuck off or something like that. What's the worst that's going to happen? Mm.
1: Yeah, but you also if you put yourself out there then you're you're pretty much like i use the word rewarded you 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 get good things because you're radiating like a positive field of energy that is a magnet for people so even if people have no idea what you're saying they're open to communication still
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and it's like and and you know i live on the thing of everything happens for us Mm. so even that no is happening for you so you can be that up for the next yes
1: mm, mm. rejection is redirection
0: yeah no i like that i like that so how do you think you know tell us a little bit more about your sailing because obviously i take it was it a trailer boat or was it a like moored boat or what kind of boat was it
1: um so it was an 85 meter mega yacht and that was oh, the one you worked boat.
0: on i worked mad? on a
1: few i worked on a few they were all around that size um but they spent a good season on that boat
0: but what and about you Hey, What about your parents when you were a kid?
1: Oh, those, like we just had like little fizz boats and launches. And then I had a friend who actually sailed around the world on a catamaran as well. And so I spent a week with them and we went up the coast of, um, we went from Auckland up to Mangawai. So for anyone that isn't familiar with New Zealand, that's a good, it took us, I think like a a couple of days we went via um, a couple islands and we just cruised our way up to Mangawai which was amazing um, and yeah I just spent a lot of time on the water as a kid so like I say, my story is very different to yours we didn't, I didn't live on a boat um, with my family but we spent a lot of time on our boats
0: yeah 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 um, but yeah okay so tell us about the super yacht times i want to hear these i want to hear these stories because i've heard so many different super yacht stories and that i want to hear yours
1: so it's interesting because we're talking about dock walking and saying no and i have to say i've been very privileged to actually never have that experience i got a really lucky break so it's very uncommon if you're wanting to break into the super yachting industry it's very uncommon to get your first job um by not dockwalking or not networking, I basically was, uh, joined to a few Facebook groups by a girlfriend who's in the industry. And I replied to a bunch of posts prior to the season starting and they were looking for stews. Um, and I, like I say, I got a lucky break. One lady reached out to me and she interviewed me and then she gave me the job while I was still in New Zealand and they flew me from New Zealand over to Italy. Um, I was in Imperia, which is in the south. And yeah, I got my first job straight away working on a a charter boat. So I remember we cracked into the season very, very quickly. Um, A charter boat, basically for anyone who isn't familiar with that term, you get private and you get charter. Often they can be both, but a private boat is owned by the owners and the owners only use it. Um, A charter boat basically gets commissioned out to guests and anyone that wants to holiday on their boat for a price. Um, And you often get tips when you work on a charter boat. So people trying to make money really gravitate towards those. So we were on a charter and I had flown in 24 hours before. We cracked on, we were straight into it. And I was in one of the, um, I was in the galley with my chief stew who had given me the job. And I actually asked her, I said, Hey, look, I'm so confused. Why me? Why did you give me this job? You didn't know me. And I was, I was green. I am green. And I was still in New Zealand. And she told me that she had planned to leave after that season. And she was leaving the industry. She'd been in it for um, years with her partner and they were actually, they're South African. They were planning to move to New Zealand. Because her husband, who was also working on the boat at the time, he'd followed her into the industry to support her. Um, and they were doing it together, which was awesome. And then they wanted to move to New Zealand so they could um, go back to working in vineyards, which was his passion. And so they do. They live in, they live in Nelson now um, yeah. here, which is amazing. But she told me, yeah, I'm leaving the industry. When I joined, I got a lucky break. And you are my way of giving back to the industry. I wanted to pass it on. It was a very, like, karmic blessing. And I was so surprised, I think, by her answer, but also just so grateful because there have been people who have rocked up to Europe with uh, with an optimistic outlook and, you know, this like gung-ho attitude, which is what you need, and they still haven't gotten the job and they've had to go home, come back and try again or go over to the Caribbean and try that season. Um, And so I felt very, 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 very grateful that she gave me that opportunity. And that's how I got into that. And so that was a beautiful, big um, charter boat in Italy. And then I moved on to a private boat, the 85 meter. And then I worked on various um, charters and yeah, little like day work bits. And then I got into a sailboat and then that's when I got my kidney infection and wound up. So what was
0: that?
1: Um, I can't remember the name of it. It was gorgeous, though. There's a huge difference between... Um, there's a huge difference between sail yachts and um, motor yachts. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very big difference. Both in terms of, obviously, how they run, but with the crew, and often the people who own them and charter them, people... Wanting sail yachts, often love sailing. People who go for motor yachts love holidaying. <laughs> There's a very, very big difference.
0: Normally, those motor yachts don't always make it over to the Caribbean either. It's more of the sailboats that make it to the Caribbean.
1: Oh no, a lot of motor yachts. Well, they,
0: they, they do, but even in the, even in the Med, like, you, like I don't know, when I was in the Med, there was still a lot of them that just didn't. They were because they were just holiday place and they didn't want to go to the caribbean but yeah no a lot of them still do go over but yeah like we even at the regattas you go to the regattas and it's like 99 percent. when i was in the caribbean it's not well that this is back 20 years ago so yeah but of also people.
1: modi got certain race so that's that's a huge like difference there too
0: um all right um cool i like that so but you know if you think if you think back to just posting and commenting on things on those groups, you're still in a way walking the dogs because you're putting yourself out there.
1: Totally, and I had no idea what I was doing because I was so green.
0: Yeah, the other advice that I have for people with that kind of stuff is if you know how, if you're going for a certain thing, Like, New Zealand's a great place, actually. If anybody listening that's in New Zealand that wants to go and and work on super yachts, New Zealand's, like, not right now, but New Zealand's a great place because you can go down to Oram's, you can go down, and you can just start literally giving your time away for free. Go work, and that's how I ended up getting on one boat, and I got a friend onto another boat, um, and literally, we just went down when we were doing our skippers ticket. We went down, we just started doing, when we had free time, we we just started helping work on boats. Yeah. Or yeah. like, what do do? What can we help with? How
1: can we help? <laughs> yeah, well, you have to you have to get experience somehow. Um, I think that yachting is a very like black and white example of that. But with anything, you have to really be open to giving more value and open to trying to sell yourself and open to owning the skill set that you have, but also owning your ability to learn. And I think that's where I really put myself in a good position with my now friend, Bianca, who gave me that job um, because I said to her, you know, I am green. I'm looking for my first gig. And fortunately that's what she was looking for because she was looking to train someone and mold that person into all the good things she'd picked up. But it's that, it's that ability to mold. It's that versatility. It's that, um, it's that just flexibility and openness and willingness to learn that, Gets you anywhere because we all need to remember that we start somewhere, um, and that somewhere is at the bottom of the heap with zero experience and often not the skill set that's needed to do the job or get the thing done. But it's the willingness to learn and it's the the humbleness to understand a hierarchy and really put yourself in a position to just mirror and absorb like a sponge. That. Yeah. gets you eventually to a place where hopefully you can start to yeah, give back and teach others
0: i think i think also it doesn't matter really what level you're at having that humbleness is so important like you could be the ceo of a company you don't know everything yeah. you know and and understanding like I, I again i learned this from my days yachting and sailing is you know my parents i was like you know these guys are doing it this way. I, you know i don't i don't like how they're doing it you know Well, well, you know, this or that thing, you know, as a teenager thinking that, you know, fucking everything. I remember my parents going, you know, going, Chris, take what you think is going to be useful. Don't forget the rest, but take what you think is useful. Learn on it, but don't disregard or think that you know everything because you don't. You've been sailing for a year. (laughs) Um, But, you know, learn from these guys and take the experiences that you feel are good, that you feel, you, you know, that you resonate with. Learn them really well. the other ones you know acknowledge them and you know go okay cool i understand that yeah but don't sit there and think that they're crap because that's the way that that person has learned to do it and they could actually be a better way than you know how and And there's
1: a million ways that you can do things and that's where i really appreciated what bianca said in that you know in a lot of chief stews so that's the position of in the hierarchy on in yachting um a chief stew is basically your lead girl or man you could have a steward um and they basically there, there does come a time where you like having someone green you like having someone who is totally fresh because you can teach them and mold them in the way that you really feel is best in the way that you perhaps were taught or weren't taught um yeah. and that that i think is the beautiful cycle of life you know I
0: guess it's I guess it's similar it's it's very similar to you know like kind of what we do. We coach people to not go through and have to fumble through it for ten years and figure it out on their own. We mold them, we give them the tools just like she did with you, gives you the tools that she's found works best so you could be in her pretty much not be her at the beginning <laughs> in a way. And then you could learn new stuff over the next 10 years and then be able to pass like, you know, that kind of, which is, you know, people, if you think of it that way, it's like, that's amazing. You know, if you're that person that's at the bottom, think of it that way, find the people that have been doing stuff for a long period of time and go like, not just sailing, but in anything, find the people that have been doing stuff for a while and know what they're talking about and are the experts as such in their field and go pick their brain. Go reach
1: out 100% yeah, it's it's important often often the thing that you want to do someone's already done it So go and find that person and copy them and then do it better because they've done a lot of the hard work for you You've seen it's possible. So you're open to actually being able to do it You're more likely to be successful too when you've seen someone that's already done the thing you want to do That's the whole magic of the four-minute mile they didn't think it could be done until someone ran a four minute mile. And now so many people run four minute miles because that is possible and you believe it to be possible. So I 100% agree with finding someone who's in the position you want to be in and model. just learn and sponge off them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, research them, follow them, do whatever it is, you know, think, yeah. You know, and then throw your twist on it. Yeah. So that it's yeah. yours. And, you know, that's it's so important, like, you know, the, and that's why we learn. That's why we, you know, and that's why, like, my other podcast, and I'm sure your other one, that's why I started it, because I wanted to learn from people on burnout. <laughs> that's why I, I started it, and that's why we started this, so we can sit there and learn from each other, and, you know, eventually we'll have other people on here as well and learn from them. And, yeah, it's, it's so that you can learn more, so you can then do more and give more
1: yeah give more is so important yeah you definitely need to fill up your toolbox and then like share those tools Mm. yeah and that's that's absolutely what we do um and i don't claim to be the best at what i do but you know i know something and i think that everyone has um something that they can teach you and if you're receptive to it then you'll go so far
0: yeah it's interesting how we both have, they are different stories, but so many common things out of them, mm. you know, it's, there's so many common, common traits and stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, I, in the beginning when we were talking the whole, like getting dirty thing, I'm like, if I didn't have the experience that I did, I wouldn't be happy having grease up to my elbows sometimes all the way under my back. <laughs> I'm working on stuff and then walk inside and be like, Oh, I can't touch anything now <laughs> um, because it's just, you know, it's, it builds that resilience and, you know, if, if, you know, you don't have to have done yachting. You don't have to have been out camping all the time. You can look at, look at your childhood and it has created who you are today. All the good, all the bad has created who you are today. So you should be happy with all of it. Like whatever has happened when you are a kid is, has created this amazing person that you are today. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the potential.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we've covered everything, haven't we, today? I think so. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, again, thanks everybody for, for, for listening and for, you know, being on, to being on the show, you know, listening on to it, watching it. Um, remember to make sure that you guys like, subscribe, review. Um, we really want to hear what you guys think. As well as, you know, leave us comments if there's topics you want us to talk about. Or I think we're getting to the stage where we need to get somebody else on here. So if there's somebody that, that listeners believe that we should reach out to and talk to and have a power chat with, um, let us know. Because, you know, we're always interested in hearing what you guys think. Because you guys are the listeners. You guys are the audience. So, um, again, thanks very much. And till next time, we shall talk to you soon.
1: Tchau!